and welcome to another of our Scottish Opera podcasts. And today I'm joined by Susanna Wapshot, who is the Associate Chorus Master for Scottish Opera. Hello, Susanna. Hi. And the first question we've been asking everyone during these podcasts is, can you just tell us a little bit about your role? So my role encompasses many jobs, but basically for half of the year, I act as Chorus Master. Uh, For the, the rest of my year, it's my colleague, Jonathan Swinard. And I, I basically support him in that role, but when uh, he's not here, so for the summer production, the spring and summer produ- production, I teach the chorus their roles, I, I rehearse them, and then I'm responsible for them in production and then on tour, and that encompasses any offstage duties, conducting or uh, warming them up, anything like that. When I'm not in that role, I act as a repetiteur, which is a pianist who is basically the orchestra when we don't have the orchestra. So it it normally takes about six weeks to stage an opera, and obviously it would be very expensive to pay an orchestra yeah. to sit that to sit there for that whole time. So we have a pianist who is trained in playing for conductors and also trained in how to play like an orchestra. Fascinating. It is fascinating. <laughs> it's and you just. You, you never stop learning how to do it. It's, um, it's really fascinating. Because I'm so glad we're talking to you because the term repetitor has come up pretty much in every interview we've done out of the 10 so far. And I think um, it's one that listeners, if they don't know opera well, might be going, but what exactly is it? And so you're now here to explain it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, how possibly can you be the person with your, in the piano that you know replicates an orchestra? How do you even begin that? Well, it it begins with a detailed knowledge of how an orchestra works, how they play for a conductor. So, for example, there are many different types of instruments in an orchestra. Obviously, there there are stringed instruments and their sound, uh, because they use a bow on the string, there's a slight delay to the sound, whereas an oboist has an attack to the sound, a brass player has a slightly different attack, then you've got a timpanist who's sort of rumbly. And... uh, all singers and repetitors, we work from a vocal school, which someone in the past uh, has condensed the full score. The full score is what, what the conductor works from. And, and uh, someone has condensed it into a playable version on the piano. Right. And in fact, originally, these vocal schools were so... Before people could buy a CD or, or listen to Spotify, uh, so they could play the opera at home. Okay. That's how they first came to be. So often they're quite a basic representation of the score. So one of a repetitor's jobs is to know the full score so well that they can embellish. So we don't actually play really what's written down. We use it as a form of shorthand. It reminds us what's there, what key we're in. Also what the singers are singing. It's got all the words and the, the vocal line. But we, repetitors, have to add to that. Because often they might miss out the piccolo part. They might miss out a really crucial uh, brass chord. Um, So we, when I'm, certainly when I'm playing for production, I'll have the vocal score on the piano, but I'll have the full score next to me all the time. So I'm really playing from both. Wow, that sounds incredibly (laughs) (laughs) complicated. It's like juggling and throwing an extra ball in there to do it. Um, So how... Do you train for this role? Because this seems like it takes a lot of training to get to uh, that understanding of an orchestra. 
It, it does, yeah. I mean, we start as, as good pianists. We right. all, we've done our piano training, we've played our Brahms sonatas and our whatever else, our Chopin etudes. And then you start learning about an orchestra. And I suppose the first thing is that you, well, the way I came to it was I began playing a lot of chamber music. Mm-hmm. I always preferred working with other musicians. Being a pianist can be quite lonely right. because okay. it's just you. So if you do a solo piano recital, it's just you on stage and then it's just you afterwards. And I, I didn't really enjoy that yeah. so much. I, I did quite a lot of it. I didn't really enjoy it. But then I started playing with cellists and violinists and clarinetists. Uh, this is where I studied in Manchester at the Royal Northern. Right. Um, and, and, and that was great. And the other aspect of it that you have to have is a really good uh, level of sight reading. And that is where mm. someone puts a piece of music in front of you and you just play it. Yeah. And you can just read it very quickly. Um, I got good at sight reading because I never liked to practice the piano when I, <laughs> when I was younger, seriously. Yeah, like and I would imagine. play anything and everything that was there apart from the pieces I was meant to play. But actually, that is really what has set me in good stead for this career because I, I, I can read very quickly. And that also really helps as a conductor because as a conductor, you're reading... 30 staves all at once so all of these little elements and everyone has their own different path there isn't one route uh however you can study it as a postgraduate so that's when i moved to glasgow right i discovered um opera Mm -hmm. basically and i thought this is great i really want to study how to do this better um so my option was at that point it was london or glasgow Mm -hmm. and i came up here for an audition and fell in love with the city and i'm still here (laughs) And so you did the, the training, because uh, I was wondering whether the training happened with the company, but the, the training actually happened yeah, in the institution. I, yeah, I did a year at the RCS, yeah. and then I did a second year as what was then the Musicians Benevolent Fund's junior fellow. That's now turned into the Emerging Artist Repetitor, yes, yeah. but I was shared between the companies. So in fact, that year I worked on seven full productions. I think I did four at the RCS. It was the RSIMD then and three, yeah. three or four at Scottish Opera. Um, so that was my sort of apprentice year. And then, uh, then I got a job after that. Yeah. Um, so you've been with the company for a while? Mm, 11 years. Wow, you must yeah. have seen quite a few changes over that time. Or have yeah. you? Has it been...? Um, some changes. Yeah. But the essence of the company is, is still there. Um, so how, let's go right back to the beginning. What was your kind of initial love of music? What made you start the piano in the first place? My ballet teacher mm-hmm. told my parents that I had very good rhythm right. and that I should learn an instrument. And that was why. Okay. We, we had a piano at home. My dad played the piano a bit, but my parents aren't musical. They're mm-hmm. not musicians. Um, so I started having piano lessons. I think I was six or seven, maybe. And I, I don't really remember, but I, within a, f- a couple of months, I did grade one. Mm-hmm. Now, having taught beginners myself, uh, Actually, great one's really hard, but I, I don't really remember learning. I just remember just being able to do it and, and loving doing it. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't necessarily practice what I was meant to, but I played a lot, an awful lot. Yeah. I think it seems, I, I'm not musical myself, but it does seem to me that, um, particularly if you start young, it's almost like learning a language young or even doing a sport quite young, you can have a natural affinity to it that 
some people go through it really quickly and you said you were very good at reading the annual musicians who have been musicians for a long time who still aren't particularly good mm-hmm. yeah. at reading so yeah. it's something that obviously I suppose it just clicked yeah, yeah. I can't put my finger on it uh, so I learned piano first and then I started flute at the age of eight and then I started violin and I, uh, my brother played the trumpet so I played a bit of the trumpet but I always came back to the piano piano is really where I always felt most comfortable and from quite an early age, did you think this is going to be a career? Not at all. There was no one in my school life who said it was remotely possible yeah, to be a musician. <laughs> it just wasn't even part of the equation. Not at all. Yeah. So when did that change? Well, when I was choosing what to do at university, I, I very nearly did classics because mm-hmm. I enjoyed um, Latin. Actually, I wish I'd done modern languages. That would have been useful for my job. Um, of course, yeah. I had a very, very good piano teacher. I, I started really at the Royal Northern when I was 15, I think, with a with a, a proper piano teacher, I can say, yeah. who teaches there. And he really advised me. And he said, you know, go and do a music degree, a, an academic music degree, because yes. yeah. um, that's what you enjoy most. So, so I did. So I went to Manchester University. And at that time, um, it was it just concentrating on the one instrument, or were you, you looking at much around her? No, at university it was it, it was mostly academic, so it was mostly essays. But then uh, with my instrument, which was piano, so I did, and you didn't have to do performance; yeah. you could do composition or uh, orchestration or, or other things. But I, I chose performance as one of my main right. things, and yeah, that was piano. Um, I'm interested, you say that, you know, being a solo musician or a solo pianist is, you know, a lonely kind of pursuit. Um, did you, was that when you decided I want to be involved with a company rather than just even, you know, a quartet or whatever? No, still at this point, I didn't know that even the job of repetitor existed. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a strange thing. Even when I was a postgraduate, it's almost like a hidden career. Yeah. Really, piano students don't get, well, maybe they do now, but we were not... Uh, given an option or, or told that it was an option. Um, an accompanist, yes, because accompanists are very, very useful. Sorry. Um, but no, I, I didn't know about opera and I, I didn't think I'd, I liked it. And I really only came to it when I was um, 23 and I started playing, they started asking me to play for singing classes at right. the Royal Northern. And this was, so this was still when you were down in Manchester? Yeah. Um, and did you kind of fall in love when you started looking into opera? Was that something that you yeah, yeah, fantastic? Because I'd always I'd always liked drama. I'd always liked theatre and languages as well. And suddenly it was like a you know light bulb going off in my head. This this discipline combines all of that: yes. theatre, yeah. music, languages. And I I don't know why I hadn't thought of it before. But as I said, no one had mentioned it well maybe yeah absolutely maybe it just wasn't something that kind of came up so that that's when you started to look around and think well where can I uh, mm-hmm. uh, can learn more about mm-hmm. about opera and what did the actual postgraduate in opera what did that entail uh, learning lots of scenes from operas lots of operas um, we would do classes actually in conducting even from that early stage because of course to be able to play for a conductor, you need a certain amount of knowledge of what they do, and that's really what has led me into conducting. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of repetitors end up conducting as well. That's interesting. 
So it's almost like the next step. You understand the orchestra, you have an understanding of the types of scores, kind of, well, where do you go next? Do you, you stand at the front? Yeah, I mean, there are many orchestras who who are fabulous and just stay mm-hmm. and that's all they want to do they just want sure, to be course, be course. the orchestra at the piano and and support the singers a huge part of the job is is coaching the singers and being that support for them in the room mm-hmm. when they've got directors telling them what to do and do this and that and you have to have an ear on that to to make sure the singing stays healthy so that's a very important job of a repetitor oh, right, as well um, and outside of the production room we would coach them on on phrasing, on languages, on roles. Some, sometimes some singers come to a repetitor just to learn a role. Right. Some singers aren't, aren't brilliant pianists and they need help learning a role. A lot of them don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all, all of this um, are, are jobs that you might be asked to do. So when you are a, doing the, the opera as a postgraduate, it sounds like they kind of give you uh, an overall, almost the greatest hits or some mm, of the greatest yeah. hits that you can then... So is there the theatre aspect, is that involved in the training? Or oh, yes, yeah. Well, certainly up, up at the RCS, we did actually collaborations with Scottish Opera. Mm-hmm. That was back then. But uh, because they, they train technicians, they train stage management, uh, we all, they all come together to put on these productions. So, yes, yes, yes you very much do, thing. yes. OK. So... Next question is, how did you uh, come to be at Scottish Shop? Or you just came along and auditioned and... Well, it was, yes, through the Junior Fellow. Yeah. Um, so how, it, does it that, was, how does that work? Because it is the same as it is now with... Uh, pr- um, pretty much. I suppose I was still involved with the RCS and the emerging artist position now yeah. is is a junior repetitor right. position. So they'd be asked to... to play for productions or, or or work with another repetitor on a production and you just have to muck in auditions you have to play for auditions um, coachings master classes fundraising events it's whatever they need a pianist for and pianists are always needed right right from the, it, right from the start yeah, yeah. Um, um, so it does seem that you really um, almost more than anyone else have a, an overall idea of what the company does yep. um, so what are the specific challenges that you have then when you start I'm trying to get my mind around a kind of day in the life but it seems to me like there's probably not a typical day no. in the life <laughs> so what are the challenges then that you face the challenges are juggling learning schools um, there's a lot to learn and you, you know you have to learn it as you really need to know it the best of anyone. Yeah. As a conductor or a repetitor, you need to know every element of the school, every element of, of the vocal line. Um, and on top of that, le- learning however many schools a year, uh, you'll be thrown into auditions, which is just sight reading for a day. Or coaching, so-and-so needs a coaching. Oh, right, so it might be a school you don't know, but you have to apply the knowledge you know of, of a certain genre or a certain composer. Knowledge of vocal technique. I mean, we're not, we're not singers, mm-hmm. and yet we are able to listen to a voice and, and suggest how they could improve it or suggest easier ways of doing things. Okay. We always look for efficiency. Um, 
so they can have longevity in their yeah. career. Yeah. So and it, it sounds also like the role where you're constantly learning. Always, oh. always learning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is always a tough question to ask, but do you have highlights of your time uh, with the company? Yes, I think it's just happened. I conducted the Nixon in China unwrap on Friday, and that's probably one of the highlights of my career. It's a fabulous opera. Is, yeah. John Adams, I love his music. And to, to conduct extracts with our amazing orchestra was, was just great. And I get to do it again on Friday in Edinburgh. So that's, that's been really good. But other highlights of my career so far have been taking operas around the Highlands and Islands. Mm. I took Macbeth. So th- this is music, musical directing from the piano. So where I am, the conductor and the orchestra. And it's a, a sort of condensed production where we don't have a chorus. Um, but yet it, it, it retains the, the essence of the opera. And it's a, you know, full productions. These were the Scottish Opera go-rounds, of course. So I did Macbeth, La Traviata, Rosalinda, which was with a, a cello and a violinist. Right. And me, myself playing harpsichords. Uh, and Carmen. Wow. And all of those were just wonderful. And we would do 25 dates all around Scotland in really remote places, places where they don't get opera. Yeah. Uh, it's what the Opera Highlights Tours does now. Yes. Uh, and it's just fantastic taking opera to, to people who live really far away from cities and, what works and beautiful action. Scotland. Yes, absolutely. They love it. Yeah. Every single performance I, I played in, and that was all, all different genres, you know, from Handel to Verdi to Bizet. Uh, it's always such a positive reaction and, and gratefulness for, for, for bringing it. So, yeah, may that continue. Absolutely, yeah. So you mentioned there about uh, conducting the unwrap of Nixon in China. So explain a little bit what the unwrap is. It's a term I'm not aware of. So on many productions, we unwrap the production. And the unwrap is... Uh, an hour-long presentation presented by Alan Dunn, who works in the education department here. And it's with the cover cast, so they're the understudies. Right. Who, okay. they, they have to learn, they spend a couple of weeks learning the roles and then we do a cover run. It's in case any of the principals go off sick, which happens quite a lot. Yes. Because singers are quite, well, it's not that singers are fragile, but it's, it's they, you know, we ask a lot of them. Sure, and And, and the, yeah. the repertoire asks a lot of them, so. If a singer gets a cold, sometimes they just can't perform. Or they might choose to take the stage rehearsals easy. They might put their cover on for that. Uh, but so we, we need to train these covers to, to be able to take over at any moment. So the Unwrap uses them and, and the orchestra. And we show highlights of the piece and also interesting scene changes, interesting technical things that might happen in the production without trying to ruin the magic because sure. of course we, we like to keep an element of, of magic in theatre but they're great and it, it, five pounds of tickets and it's a really great show and it's a, a, a taster of if you don't if you not sure about committing to the full production sure. it's great to come along to an unwrap and you get an idea of what you might see in the show that's a lovely idea mm. especially seeing a little bit behind the curtain but yeah. not too much yeah um 
And it was interesting you say about the, the, the strain on, on not the strain on voices, but just, you know, the physicality of what opera is. Because someone asked me recently about Nixon in China, it's got such good press. And they said, well, they only did, what if it was, four nights in Glasgow or something like that. And, well, I imagine it's just it's such a huge thing to put on anyway. There's so many people involved, but there's also that uh, you've got to give people rest before they go and do it somewhere else. Yeah, I, I think the the little number of performances is actually down to the repertoire though right um and in fact it's been selling really well Mm. because it's a fabulous production and we've got really good press but you compare a john adams opera to something like tosca Mm -hmm. we know that we're definitely going to sell tosca Uh, lots and lots and lots and lots we're a bit more unsure about more modern opera of course because generally uk audiences are quite conservative yeah. But of course, it's it's great to, to do either contemporary productions or more modern music because that's how we keep the art form alive. But but it'll be down to that. But yes, you're right. The the singers they would not be able to sing every night. Yeah, you couldn't do that. So you, they need at least one day off in between, probably two. Yeah. And depending on on the repertoire, you know, really big singing Wagner. Mm long five-hour performances you would need a lot more rest in between sure um so let's talk a little bit about the the current season um it is very mixed there's a fantastic mix of stuff um do you have anything that's coming up that you're really looking forward to um well we're about to start some gilbert and sullivan Mm. which is always fun yeah it's really really fun stuff and then we've got a double bill of Cavalleria Rusticana with Zingari. So I, I love the Italian rap as well. Um, so I'm, we'll enjoy that. And that's, uh, I'm chorus mastering for those four operas. The GNS is The Gondoliers and Utopia Limited. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that one. Yeah, no, very few people know it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I'll be flying to Adelaide next week. With, with our Breaking the Waves production, which uh, we opened in Edinburgh, yes. which was just absolutely stunning. Um, a piece by Missy Mazzoli, a few years old. Uh, fantastic. And we're taking it to the Adelaide Festival. Um, so it seems that there's no possible way you could ever get bored in the role because you're involved with absolutely everything and all the different styles and all the different aspects mm-hmm. of it. Um, are you involved? On the night itself, or are you able to... If I'm chorus master, absolutely. Yes, we... The chorus will often sign in about an hour before the show, um, and we'll do a 10-minute warm-up, which would be... It's not vocal warm-ups. They do that themselves. It's just little bits from the piece that might be tricky. Remember not to rush here, or notes from the previous nights. And then often there's... And I mentioned this earlier, there'll there'll be off-stage duties... Mm. Um, so that's things like um, if there's a well first of all if there's some off stage singing so that's if there's voices uh, coming from the distance you need someone conducting that we okay. have we have monitors all around yeah. we have three monitors out front because you don't if a singer is of course they have to act mm-hmm. they're all you don't want them just staring at the, compo- uh, the conductor sure. so we'll have a monitor centre dress circle and, and two either side so they can still see the beat um, and then we've got monitors backstage and 
we've discovered if you have really more than two singers taking it from a monitor, somehow it just won't, won't be together. You need a real live conductor. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And uh, so, from what you've been seeing in our chat, you're at the beginning, the very beginning of, of when things are starting, at least musically, and you're there kind of right to the very end, mm -hmm. so you kind of oversee everything. Mm -hmm. and that's a fascinating role. Um, if you had advice for anyone interested in, in kind of getting into this role, would you be able to give us it? Yeah, it's such a great job. Really, I, I can't stress that enough. Being a repetitor, if you're a, a good pianist um, and you enjoy working with other musicians, uh, just give it a go get to know operas, get to know orchestras and how orchestras work, um, and, and get to know the, the repertoire. I, I suppose an easy way in is, is playing for auditions. Yeah. Uh, that can be really hard because often you'll have no rehearsal at all. Mm -hmm. um, and as you get more experienced, you, you learn the arias and people will bring generally the same arias, but there's, there's probably 400 Arias you really need to know. Wow. To, to begin with. <laughs> yes. You know. Uh, I would say, yeah, to any, any pianist, it's, it's just a, it's such a wonderful industry to work in. And it's, uh, it's so interesting doing these interviews and talking to people. So many of you have been here for a long time, which obviously speaks well of, mm. of any company that that's the case. Um, oh, Susanna, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll be back soon with someone else from Scottish Opera. Cheers. Mm -hmm.